Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. What a wonderful time of worship and also communion, which is worshipful, if we allow it to be that in our lives. And, and it's good to be here today. I'd rather be here than at the beach. I don't know about you. But I think the battle was we'd rather be at home in the bed than here, right? <laughs> so it's, um, it's always good when we come together. I was thinking back about um, when we went through COVID and preaching to a camera in an empty room and how it just didn't have the same context. And so it's always good when we come together, even when it's not as easy or as convenient. Um, but we, we do want to welcome those who are joining online. We know many are sick today. And, uh, but it's good to be together. Today I want to, or as Pastor Michael said, put a bow on uh, this past three weeks of prayer and fasting. And as we think of that, I don't know, I started the 21 days on Monday because I didn't know we were going to do it. Um, and so I didn't start on Sunday. Pastor Michael uh, shared with us and challenged us, and, and I'm so grateful that you did because I have to tell you that it, is, it has been a, a time for me of, of pushing deeper. And, you know, it's, it's easy, isn't it, to just kind of hit uh, the cruise control in our spiritual walk. And it's good for us uh, to have to turn that off and to have to put our hands on the wheel and our, our feet on the gas and the brakes and to, and to navigate in a different way. It kind of wakes us up spiritually. So that's what this season, um, these 21 days, have been for me, and I hope it's been that way for you. And as we would continue to, to talk about um, today, I'm, I'm going to kind of push kind of bring it to a wrap in some ways, but then also open it up to the future because we're not just called to pray and fast for 21 days and then who knows how long we do that again. So we'll talk about that today. A couple, three weeks ago, my sister was in town and she lives in Tampa and her and her husband were over here and, and uh, she recently, recently retired, which um, I'm a little jealous of because she's three years younger than I am. And um, she, uh, out of her boredom, she started an eBay store. And she, she's had retail stores in the past. She's done a lot of things. She's been very successful. And she's just kind of doing it as a hobby. And I was, you know, kidding around with her because um, sometimes when we get older, we, we still try to stay young, right? And so she's wearing some jeans, and they're really cool jeans because they're torn, right? Isn't that right? Amen? I got my young people here. It's like, yes. You know, that's, that's fashionable these days. And um, I, I told her, I said, I got to tell you that just last week, I threw away a pair of jeans because they were torn. And she said, they weren't Levi's, were they? I said, no, they were Wranglers. <laughs> you know, I buy the cheap stuff. She goes, well, even Wranglers. But Levi's especially, if they're torn, they're worth twice as much as they were the day you bought them. And I'm like, what? That, that, that's, that's, that's insane. 
However, that's what the cost of fashion is these days. Now, I'm not a fashion guru. You may have figured that out. Although, um, Pastor Jordan told me um, a couple weeks ago, uh, Brooke texted me and, and wanted to know about my shoes. And I said, I, your mom went with me and I bought these shoes and I gave them the brand and they're, apparently they're a cool brand. And, and Jordan liked them. I, usually when I get those texts, it's because, Dad, don't dress like that. You're dressing like an old man. I said, to which I say, well, I am an old man, you know, so it's kind of appropriate. And, um, and so, you know, 30 years ago when I started preaching, my scripture, I got the scripture printed out I'm going to share today. You could probably read it from there, right? <laughs> so, so things progress. But, but my point in sharing that story is we have things of value in the spiritual realm that I don't think we understand or we realize. Just as I had no idea that those jeans, which were torn and I thrown away, she said, next time give them to me and I'll put them in my eBay store because they have value. I didn't see any value in them. I mean, we used to get iron-on patches when we were younger and, and mom would iron on the patches on my jeans. I didn't know the value there. And I, I wanna encourage you today that there is value that we will find in the Word of God that oftentimes we don't see unless we stop and it's revealed to us. And so as we begin today, I ask the Spirit just to speak to us, to reveal His Word to us, and to talk to us in such a way that we can receive the things that He has for us. And so today I'm going to talk about a very familiar uh, passage of Scripture. It's um, found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so, if you're not aware, there are the Gospels, and the Gospels tell the story, first account story of the life and ministry of Jesus. And so you have, beginning the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so, this story I'm going to share today, which is uh, the story of the paralytic uh, being uh, healed by Jesus, it's a very familiar story. It's a story that we, we've heard all the way. If you were in church as a youngster, you heard it in Sunday school. And it's a story that's probably been preached on many, many times. It's a very familiar story, and it's told, it's told in both in, in three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I'm going to kind of touch on different, um, the text in those, those three, because the, the interesting thing is, is, is they give their account, and they give different accounts although it's the same, but they give different details. And so in that, we'll be able to see different details that I think will be interesting and, and, some, and maybe not so much um, spiritual in the moment, but I still find it interesting, um, but then also challenging to us spiritually. And so before we look at that scripture, it's always important that we understand the context of the scripture that we're, that we're gonna read. And so Jesus has begun his ministry. He's called his disciples. And so we're going to look at the book of uh, Mark and the account that he gives. And, and it's in Mark chapter 2. So if you want to turn to Mark chapter 2, uh, you'll see in the first 12 verses of Mark chapter 2 the story of the paralytic being healed. But it's important that we actually go back into Mark chapter 1. Interestingly enough, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all also tell the story of the healing of the leper. For some reason, John isn't all that interested in telling these stories. Maybe he's talked to these guys. You guys have already told those stories. I'm going to spend my time on these. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke all, all talk also about the cleansing of the leper. So it's improper for us to say the healing of the leper. It's proper for us to say the leper was cleansed, and I'll share why. And so as we look at, at the leper being cleansed by Jesus, um, it has great significance on the story that will follow it. 
So let's just let's, let's look at that. I'm going to read Mark chapter 1, verse 40 through 45. A man with leprosy came to him, being Jesus, and begged him on his knees. So, so picture it, because sometimes we read too fast. A man comes to Jesus. He's a leper. Now understand, leprosy is a disease of the skin, and it's extremely contagious. And if you were a leper, you had to live outside of town with other lepers away from the people. So if we were to take some, some, some uh, liberties here and, and really begin to think about this, this leper is probably parting the waters of people, right? So obviously Jesus has begun his, his ministry. He has begun to heal people. And so when people hear about that, they're coming to Jesus. And here comes this leper. I see people just scattering and probably saying some not so nice things to this guy. But anyway, he, he, he doesn't care. He goes to Jesus and he falls on his knees and he begs Jesus. And he says to Jesus, as is quoted by Mark, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing, you can make me clean. I'm reading from the NIV, and it says Jesus was indignant. Some of your translations will say it this way, that Jesus had great compassion. And so Jesus, seeing this man, is indignantly compassion, and he reaches out his hand, which you don't do, and touch a leper. He reaches out his hand, and he touches the man, and he said, I am willing. Be clean. So the leper is cleaned of his leprosy. And there's witnesses. And Jesus, this is the part I want us to make sure we don't miss. Jesus immediately tells the leper, leave here. And he gave him a strong warning, verse 44, so that you, when you leave here, don't tell this to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest. This is like telling a kid, or I could say telling your wife, don't, no, that wouldn't be true. You, it's like telling a kid, don't tell this. Well, immediately they're going to go tell it, Right? Maybe he was disobedient that moment, but here's the thing. He said, instead, go to Jerusalem. He didn't, it's, it's in Jerusalem. He says, go to the teachers of law and tell them what I have done. I'm, I'm going to paraphrase this um, because of, of the story and, and want to get to our main text. But, but he, tells, he tells this leper, I want you to go to the, to the temple where you have to follow the law of Moses. So in Moses, if you read Leviticus, Leviticus 13 and 14, you will see the process that a, a leper would have to go through to receive cleansing. And so he says, go to the teachers of the law and receive the instructions that you were given by Moses to receive this cleansing, to make it complete. But don't tell anyone except go tell the teachers. Well, he tells, and I think it's in Luke, it says that he freely tells everybody. So when you look for Mark and you go to Luke and hear the story, he says, he's telling everybody. I mean, he cannot contain his joy, his happiness, his excitement. And now you need to also understand, because we, unless we look deeply, we miss these things. Jerusalem, he's in Capernaum at the time. Jerusalem is 90 to 100 miles from Capernaum. So he jumps in his car. No, no, they didn't have cars. He calls Uber. No, no, they didn't have Uber. He walks. And I think that's an easy detail for us to forget. This leper has to now walk 90 miles 
to the temple of Jerusalem. And so it would probably take him, I don't know, five days, seven days. It's a good journey. And so all along the way, as he goes through every village, he's telling everybody, I'm on my way to tell them what Jesus has done for me. He has cleansed me. And then he goes to the temple. He does that. And then we get to the story we're in, where Jesus hears heals a paralytic, a man paralyzed. And we don't know why he was paralyzed. It's thought that he was paralyzed from an accident, but we don't know. It doesn't really matter. So we get to this story, and what's important is that we understand is that in uh, the last part of Mark, chapter 40, um, it talks about, um, he says, instead the, the, the leper went out and he began to talk freely, spreading the news as a result, and do not miss this, as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Have you ever read that and noticed it? Yet, the still, yet still the people came to him from everywhere. So here we have this picture. And this, this is probably where the words of Jesus himself, um, I think that was in, I think I have it here. No, I don't. In Matthew 8. In Matthew 8, Jesus says these words. He says, uh, the foxes have holes and birds have a nest, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And so during his three years of ministry, Jesus is oftentimes having to go into secluded places. He's having to hide because the crowds are swamping him. Now, none of us have ever been famous. If you had, your fame has left you because I don't see any paparazzi in here taking pictures of you. But I often look at those who are famous, and, and especially right now, this, this uh, Taylor Swift and the football player uh, Travis Kelsey is just like, this is crazy, and it, it, you can't go anywhere. It, it's all over the news. You can't even go to church without hearing about it, right? It, it's, just, it's just everywhere. And I can't imagine being under the scrutiny of cameras and people all the time. But, but here they are, and this is what's happening to Jesus. And so Jesus has to go out to lonely places. So now we have the context. It's at least a week, maybe longer. I'm going to say probably longer than a week. When we enter into Mark chapter 2, and we go into what we're going to really talk about today, we're going to walk into the text. We're going to look at this healing and exactly what that meant. So, okay, here we go. That was quite a long introduction, wasn't it? So Mark chapter 2, verse 1, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum. So he went into seclusion. Because people heard he cleansed the leper. He has to get away from the crowds because it's, non, it's not a functional setting. And so now he's coming back. And it says this, the people heard that he had come home. Now I'm going to have a little fun here. Jesus went home. Some would say that Jesus never had a home because of the Matthew 8 scripture. Others would debate that this was actually Jesus' house. And we talked about this a little bit in our community group this week, and, and um, I was the only one who, who leaned towards, I think Jesus had a home. Now, is this spiritually relevant? Not necessarily, or else I think it would have been given to us. But there's reasons that I think that, and it doesn't really matter. You can think what you think, and if you don't like what I think, then you can unfriend me on Facebook. Go ahead. But I, I tend to think that this was actually Jesus' home that for the 30 years before he had ministry that he wasn't sleeping on the couches of everybody else, right? 
Um, so anyway, just a little side note. So, so Jesus comes home, whether that's to someone else's home, but he comes home to Capernaum. Now understand, Capernaum is the hub of his teaching ministry. As you read the scriptures, you'll see him going out into Galilee and all of the region, but his hub, his, where he home was, was Capernaum. So Jesus came home, and that had to be refreshing. You ever been on a long vacation? And you enjoyed it, but you just want to go home, right? You just want to sleep in your bed or on someone else's couch, whatever we would think uh, in this debate. But Jesus just wanted to go home. So Jesus goes home. And then in verse 2, Mark chapter 2, verse 2, they gathered in such large numbers. So it didn't take long. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he began to preach the word to them. So Jesus got away, as we know, because he tells us, that he gets away and he spends time with the Father. He gets away and he gets refreshed. He gets renewed. And he comes back and he pours himself out. Because what we have to understand is that Jesus was a human being as he was God. And I think that's important because sometimes I only think of him as God. But he lived in a body just as we did. Oh, do. And, and, and in that... He experienced the same things we experienced. So there's a point for me, a point of, of identity with Jesus, a point of connection with Jesus. I don't know how to connect with him other than through the Spirit, but, but, but God as, as deity and Jesus and, and the Trinity, that, that's, a, that's a scope of, 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 of something that's difficult for me to, to grab onto sometimes. But when I see that, oh, hey, maybe Jesus had his own house. Um, Jesus was a carpenter. Maybe he built his own house. I don't know. You know, imagine that, a carpenter building their own house, you know. So you have all of these things. And, and so Jesus goes away. He gets refreshed. He comes back. But his calling and the reason he came was to teach the people. But there was much more than that, as we know. And so he begins to preach the word. One day, Jesus was teaching. And Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. So back up. Why are the teachers of the law there? Why have they come? Well, this leper went to them. This leper goes to them and says, I have been cleansed of leprosy. Not healed. I have been cleansed of leprosy. Remember, leprosy is a picture of sin in the scripture. Even though it's a, it's a disease of the skin, it's talked about in the scripture in a context of leprosy and sin. Now, they didn't have leprosy because they sinned. That's important to note. But in the context of the picture of leprosy, leprosy is what is, is represents sin when they talk about it oftentimes, okay? So, so they have heard this story of this man, and they must have believed it to some degree, enough that they left their cities, and the ones, the, the teachers and the Pharisees who were in Jerusalem, they walk 100 miles, 90 miles, to come check it out themselves. Because people had heard what Jesus was doing because this blabbermouth told everybody, <laughs> And so they've gathered, and they've come, and they've come to where Jesus was, and we've been told it's in the home, his home perhaps, and he preached the word to him. In Luke, it says it this way, one day Jesus, well, in, in actually in, Matt, in Mark, it doesn't call them Pharisees and Sadducees. So I want to pull in from Luke. It says the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. So that's how we know the Pharisees and, and the teachers were there, because Mark just said there was a bunch of people. So, so Mark was, was not into detail. Luke was a doctor, and he was into details and, and all that stuff. So he says they've come from every village of Galilee. And, the, and, and then in verse uh, 17 of Luke, and this is important, 
Please don't miss this. It says there were teachers and Pharisees and people from every village had come. And then it says, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Do not miss that. The power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the power or the, to heal those who were sick. Without the power, Jesus couldn't heal. And so to me, it's like, so there were moments when God himself would put upon Jesus the power to heal. Otherwise, why would it say in this moment he had that power, that anointing in that moment? Now, Jesus, being God, could call upon that power anytime he wanted to. But in this moment, the scripture tells us the power of the healing was on Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man. And in Luke, it tells us there were four of them. Again, Luke's into detail. Um, Mark didn't share that part, but there's four men, and I think that's intriguing because I had always envisioned two, you know, kind of like you, you see someone going to an ambulance and used to be you'd have that stretcher. Well, you know, they had a stretcher, and, and the paraplegic would be on it, and honestly, it's a lot easier to distribute the weight with four people, especially when we know what's about to happen, that they're going to lower him through a roof. So there's four men, and they're carrying this paraplegic. I want to start, stop here, and, and I want to speak the, the, the real, the, the heart of what I want us to get today, the, the, the depth of it. I'm really going to be talking about prayer, although it may not look like it. So as we continue to pray, not just 21 days of prayer, and so our, our encouragement to one another is that we would continue to go deeper in our prayer life, whatever that would look like for you. If it's continuing that 15 minutes, by all means, continue it. By all means, at least do that. But we're not called to pray just for a season. We're called to pray all the time. And here's how I pray. And I'm going to suggest that it's probably the way you pray. I pray out of my heartfelt needs, things that I'm feeling, my emotions. I, I pray out of my pressing needs, things that are pushing in. And so what could that look like? Well, it, it, it could look like physical healing, right? I, I'm sick. Our little grandson Jones is, is sick today. And so if you're tempted to go give him a hug, you might want to think twice if he's still here. You know, um, so I, I pray for Jones's healing. We, we pray for one another's healing. Pastor Michael earlier said on Tuesday, they, they pray for those, for those deep needs that we have or for those primary needs that we have in our life physically. And, and so we pray for those things and we pray for heartfelt needs. We pray, I pray for relationships. We, we pray for finances. Those are the things that we pray and rightfully so because in Matthew 6 has been quoted for the last two or three weeks where the scripture tells us well, actually, going back to Matthew 6, verse 31, it says, do not worry about what you will eat, what you will drink, and what you will wear. And I would add to that where you will live. For our God, verse 33, he says, if we'll seek him first, seek God first, his kingdom, his righteousness, then you'll get that stuff. But when we get it out of order, we miss out on that. So that's an important thing for us to know. So it, it, we shouldn't just be going to God with our heartfelt needs and our pressing needs because we all have a much deeper need, a much deeper need than that. 
And so as we continue through this story, keep that in mind because we'll come back to it. So, so the paralytic is carried there by his four friends. And in Mark chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Since they could not get to him because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof. Now, can you imagine us being here today and the power of healing being upon someone? And, and he's, God still heals today. But, or even Jesus himself here with us today. And the place is packed. And scholars do agree, there is no debate about this, that there are hundreds of people there. Hundreds. And they've gathered all around. The house is full. No one else can get in. It's packed all the way around the house. And here these four guys are coming with this paraplegic. They can't get in the house because of the crowd. Because people have heard. And they've heard that Jesus has come back out of his place of, of isolation and is back in his house, and they can't get to him. And they were so determined because they, this man had a pressing need. He was paralyzed. And they knew if they could just get him to Jesus, perhaps he could be healed. No, not perhaps. He will be healed. So much so that they went up on the roof. And I've often wondered how in the world they got on the roof, how they got through the crowds to get to the house. And so in, in my mind, I'm thinking about it. It's like, well, they left the man on the ground. They climbed up and got on top of the house, and they had the ropes, obviously. They had some kind of ropes, and, and they had to pull him up on the roof before they could lower him down. Now, that was, that'll preach right there, right? Think about that for a minute. You've got you to be pulled up before you can be let down. And so they, they get this man on the roof, and they begin doing the unthinkable. They begin busting a hole in the roof, Right? So if we're sitting here today and this is happening, it's a, and then debris starts to fall. Now understand the roofs in those days were not asphalt shingles or tiles like we have. They would have beams and then they would have cross sticks that went the other way and then they would pack mud and the mud would get hard and it would act like a cement and it would last about a year. Footnote, the insurance companies of today would not write them insurance, right? That roof would never pass their inspections. And so they had to redo these roofs every year. And so they begin to cut a hole, bust a hole in the roof. The sermon was over. Whatever Jesus was teaching, I can tell you, for the years that I've been preaching, when there's a, uh, something like that, that, ha that hasn't happened, but a crying baby or something, and, and, and there's a distraction, it's just like, it's over. I've lost them. You know, I, it's just what happens. And in that moment, I can only imagine that, that in that moment, the debris is falling. It's, it's hitting people in the head. They're getting mud and, and, and dirt, not mud, but, but, but dried dirt in their hair and, and sticks. And, and, and there probably was some pretty high frustration. Now, here's a little footnote once again. One of the reasons I think it was Jesus' house, because if it had been my house, I would have said something. If it was your house you would have said something. And I think had it been said, it would have been recorded because Jesus would have said, uh, he would have rebuked and said, I have a greater purpose here. Well, I'll, I'll take care of your roof. If I, can, if, I can cleanse a, if I can cleanse a leper, I can get your roof taken care of. I know people. And, and so in, in this moment, there's no mention of anything. These guys are just tearing a hole in the roof. They wanted to get to Jesus so bad on behalf of their friend who had this pressing need in him for healing. That's what a friend is. I'll tell you, that's, that's deep friendship there. They went the extra mile, and they probably carried them at least a mile. And then they weren't deterred. 
and they kept fighting for him. And they get up on the roof, and, and somehow the scripture says um, that they, they kind of figured out where Jesus was. And, 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 they begin to, and they begin to deal with that. And so they, they lowered the man, verse 4, since they could not get to him, to Jesus, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. And then they lowered the, man, the mat the man was laying on to where Jesus was. When Jesus, verse 5, saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. In Luke, it says the word friend. In Mark, he uses the word man. If you, if you dig into that, it's actually the word anthropos or anthropology is a class that we took. Anthropos is a word for mankind. And so when Jesus was speaking to the man and he used the word anthropos, he was not just speaking to, the man, to that man, he was speaking to you and I. He was speaking to all mankind. And he said, your sins are forgiven. And there's probably a quietness in that room as there is in this room. Time out, Jesus. Thanks for that. This man didn't come for any other reason but to receive healing. The four guys on the roof are probably like, seriously? We did all of this? And you just tell them his sins are forgiven? The crowd had come in expectation, yes, to hear Jesus teach, but they had also come in expectation of him healing people. And here's this amazing event. This man is lowered in front of Jesus, and I can just see him when he's about eye to eye with Jesus, just looking at him. He can't move. He's probably strapped to this stretcher so that he wouldn't fall off of it. And they've lowered him to the floor, and when Jesus sees their faith, he doesn't say, you're healed. He says, you're forgiven. Now, when he says that in verse 6, it says, Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can for sins, who can forgive sins but God alone? So you have all these things going on in this room. The teachers and the Pharisees who have come to try to find out what this guy's doing. And now he's claiming because only God can forgive sin. Now I want to take you back to the leper. Leprosy is a picture of sin. Jesus cleanses the leper. Now understand this. In the 1,500 years since Moses gave the instructions on how to be cleansed of leprosy, it had never happened, not once, until Jesus did it. You see, it's a picture of sin. And in this moment, what Jesus was saying is, listen, I know you have heartfelt needs. I know you have pressing needs. I know you have hurts in your life. I know that you have relationships that you've lost. I know that, that you've lost loved ones. I know those things. And I grieve with you. And at times he meets those needs, but he says to you, I have forgiven your sin. And let me tell you something, that's the, the, the deeper need that we all have. Wouldn't you agree with me that this guy who had leprosy, and this man who would be healed of being a paraplegic are no longer alive? You see, it was temporary. It was temporary. 
And so in our prayer life, oftentimes we focus so much on the temporary because it's how we're made. And, 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 and again, please hear me. There's, that, that's appropriate but not without first recognizing the deeper need. So Jesus says to this man, your sins are forgiven, and nobody celebrates. It's like, he's forgiven, and he didn't even have to go to the temple to get it. You see, back then, to get forgiveness, you had to go to the temple, and you had to get a sheep, and if you couldn't afford a sheep, you could buy a pigeon, and you had to take that, you had to wait in line, you had to go see the teachers of the law, and the teachers of the law are the ones who are here, they're saying, who is this man that's forgiving sins? We're the teachers, we tell you how that happens, and it was from the, the law of Moses as it was given, and so there was a specific instruction on how you could get forgiveness of sin, and you had to be ceremonially clean, and you had to take either a sheep or a pigeon, and that was sacrificed, and that blood covered your, your sins. This is why it's so important we understand that it's Jesus who became the lamb for us. And it's why we take the Eucharist, or where we take communion, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, to remember what he's done for us. We have been washed in that blood, even though that may sound foreign to someone who doesn't go to church. It's not literal. It's what Jesus did literally for us on the cross when he gave his life so that we could have forgiveness of our sin. That's the deeper need that we all have. And so you have these groups there, and nobody's celebrating. Everybody's upset. And Jesus, in verse 8, says, to the, says this. He says, Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, I like this because he didn't give them a chance to answer. He says, What are you thinking? Why are you thinking these things? He doesn't give them a chance to, to answer it. But he demonstrates, I know what you guys are thinking. And then he says this, Which is easier? To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Well, anybody can say your sins are forgiven. In fact, if, if, we, if we sin against one another, we're to go to each other and we're to confess our sins. And, and if, if, if I was to sin against you or you against me and, and you came to me and asking me for forgiveness, I can grant you forgiveness in my heart, but I can't, you, I can't grant you God's forgiveness. Only God can give forgiveness of all of our sin. And so Jesus said, which is easier? Any of us could say that. And so he says to the teachers of the law, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say this, get up and walk? Well, obviously, in our human eyes, we can't see in the spiritual, but in our eyes, it's like, well, it'd be a lot easier to say your sins are forgiven than it would be to say, get up and walk. You see, in this moment, Jesus wants to demonstrate to all of us that he has the power not just to bring healing, but to bring us, give us forgiveness. And I was amazed as we were singing this morning because the songs, and we had not talked about this at all, the, the first couple of songs were, were all about forgiveness and what he's done for us. I'm like, oh, we're, we're singing about it. Praise God. That's the way the Lord works. He wants us to understand that our deepest need is not our pressing need or even our heartfelt need. Why we have those hurts and why we ask for those things, our deeper need is forgiveness of sin. And so he tells the paralegic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, because you will now see that I can, I can say the harder, get up and walk, as well as I can forgive sin. Get up and take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. Then there was a celebration. He says, this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. It's like, dang, now, now we're excited. Now things are happening, Jesus. This is good. But we kind of missed the forgiveness piece. And I would suggest to you that in our spiritual lives, oftentimes we become dominated in our hearts and our minds with the thought of 
what we need more than what he's given us in forgiveness and celebrating that. Now, I want to say this in our prayer life. We talk a lot about the presence of Jesus. So in our prayer life, we should talk to God about our felt needs. We should talk to God about our pressing needs because we have them. But most importantly, we should first thank God and receive the deeper need that we all have of forgiveness of sin. And if you haven't, I encourage you to do that. And here's where that goes. That goes and takes our relationship with Jesus deeper. It takes our relationship deeper so that when we go back to share our pressing needs and our heartfelt needs, we've already recognized that he's already met our deepest needs. So there's cause for joy, hope, and celebration even before and if God would answer any other needs. But I will tell you this, they're temporary. And one day, there will be no more crying or hurts when we get to heaven. So here's what I want to encourage you with. And this is amazing. So now we see Jesus the man. We see Jesus the man praying out of a pressing need, out of a heartfelt need. It's the night he's betrayed. He's in the garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. And he goes off to pray. He asks his disciples to pray. We know that they fall asleep because, as Jesus said, the spirit's willing but the flesh is weak. Jesus isn't falling asleep because Jesus already knows what's about to happen to him. Jesus knows that he's going to be beaten. He knows that they're going to take his hands and they're going to stretch him out on a piece of wood that we call a cross, and they're going to drive a large spike through each of his hands, and they're going to do the same to his feet, and they're going to push a crown of thorns upon his head. He knows what's about to happen to him, and he prays this prayer. Father, if you are willing, will you meet my pressing need? Will you beat my, meet this, this need that I have? I, I don't want to have to go through this. Get the picture. Jesus was man. I don't want to be killed like this. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to drag a cross up a hill to the, to the, to the, the place of the skull where I would be crucified. I don't want to do this. But then he says, and this is a place that we need to grow to in our maturity, but not my will, Lord, but your will be done. Whew, that's hard. I'm going to confess to you, that, that's hard. Lord, Lord, take this cancer, or Lord, Lord take this, this financial need, or whatever the case would be. Lord, will you take it from me? But then to be able to say, not my will, but your will be done. And to have peace. And hope in being able to say that. Because Jesus knew that wasn't the end. He knew the deeper need was the need that you and I had. He knew why he was sent. And so when Jesus hung on that cross and finally came to this place where he said these words, it is finished. And the scripture says he bowed his head and he died. Yet we know, <laughs> praise God, he raised again three days later. You see, we have to be able to say, not my will, but your will be done. Knowing that at some day, 
And we don't long for this day necessarily. Some may. It depends on where you're at in life. But we long to be with Jesus for eternity. I want to be with Jesus for eternity, but I pray something like the longs of the lines. But Lord, give me health so I can live to be 120. Give me finances so that I don't have to worry about anything. And give me great relationships with, with my wife and my kids and their spouses. and my gra- You see, that's the way I pray. And, and if you will, just let me die in my sleep, right? Isn't that, isn't that kind of like the perfect life? But at some point, we all come to the place where we recognize it is finished. But when that is finished, all eternity begins. And that's where we begin to celebrate. That's where we begin to recognize. And so my encouragement to you today, that you continue to pray, that you continue to seek God, that you continue to ask him for all the things that you need in your life, but do not do so in such a way that we forget He's already met our deeper need. And if he only met that need alone, is there any other need that even really matters? Well, it does when we're here because it hurts and it's hard. But the fact that Jesus forgave me, that he died for me. And so I encourage you to grow to this place in your prayer life. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep seeking the Lord. Grow in your relationship with him. And it all starts with the forgiveness of his sin, forgiveness of our sin in our life, and the grace that he has for us. And now I get to walk with Jesus. And if I can walk with Jesus, I can walk through unanswered prayers. Because I know he's with me. And I know one day I will be at that place where I say, it is finished. And it's almost with a relief because it's hard. Life is hard. You know, the only part about it being finished and dying is, is, um, that's hard, really, is the relationship piece, right? I don't, I don't want to not be with, with those people I love. But the hope and the joy and the, and the promise of God is we will all be together one day. Thanks for joining us at White Chapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you you continue to join us as we lean into God's Word together. Until next time, have a great week.